When I was a kid, I had this comic book Bible. And this comic book Bible had a record that went along with it. And so I could put it on this record player that was in my house and I could hear the comic book story narrated by this booming voice on the record. And they had background noises and it was cool. I just liked to look at each one of the stories through this little comic book Bible was just a story of the Bible narrated by this incredible narrator with all these background sounds that made it this exciting experience for me as a little boy. And one of the stories that was etched in my heart from that little comic book Bible and the accompanying record was the story of Samson. And each one of the pictures in the comic book frames of the story were pictures of Samson, this long-haired, muscle-ripped superhero of the Bible. And I loved the story. I thought Samson was incredible. I loved hearing the narration of his, his battles and victories and so I, I thought it was the neatest story. It literally etched in my heart and mind from a little kid. And then I, as I grew up, somewhere along the way, I read the book of Judges. And when you get to the Samson story, and I read what was in the Bible about Samson, and I thought about what I thought about him from the comic book narration, I was really disappointed. I was, I was a little bit frustrated and a little bit confused. Samson was not the hero that I thought he was as a kid. And then at some point I realized that Samson was never intended to be the hero of the story. That there is a much more significant hero that should receive our attention. So let's dig into the story of Samson together in Judges chapter 14 and chapter 15 this morning. Judges 14 and 15. Remember Judges 13, we talked about the promise of Samson's birth. How his parents were to raise him under this vow of separation to the Lord for the purpose of beginning the deliverance of God's people. Now we come to Judges chapter 14 and Samson has grown up. And he's traveling in an area of the country where the Philistines live. And he sees a woman, a daughter of the Philistines, and he falls in love with this woman. First sight, first love. And he goes back home to tell his parents about it. We pick up the story right there in verse 2 of chapter 14. He says, so he came back home to his, and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Now Samson's parents respond to Samson's demand with pleading for him to reconsider. Because a woman from the Philistines is not within the law of God for Samson to pursue to marry. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, and then several other places in the Old Testament, God gives a command to his people, do not marry people from the other nations who do not worship me as God, because it will not go well with you if you do that. You'll be distracted, you'll be led astray. Instead, marry people 
who love me and serve me with all their heart. That's, that's God's clear command. Well, Samson comes back from the land of Philistines and demands his parents go get him a wife from the Philistines. And so they're going to plead with him to reconsider. Verse 3, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Samson did not care about what his parents had to say. Far worse, he did not care about what God's law had to say. He is breaking the law of God, defying his parents, and exhibiting unbelievable self-interest and rebellion. What Samson's parents did not know at this point was that God had chosen to use Samson to begin the deliverance of his people and that God would use Samson whether Samson obeyed the law or not. That God was gracious and faithful to his promise to deliver his people and to use Samson whom he set apart from his birth to bring about that deliverance. And that whether Samson was obedient or disobedient, God would still use him. Because God is gracious and good and intends to deliver his people through Samson. His parents had no idea what God was going to do, even through Samson's disobedience. Well, the story continues. Samson goes down to Timnah with his father and mother. They're going to go down and Evidently meet this woman. And on the way, Samson and his parents are not traveling together. For some reason, the story doesn't tell us. But Samson's by himself and a lion comes out to attack Samson. I've never been attacked by a lion, but I'm sure that I would not like it. And look what happens here, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat though he had nothing in his hands. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. I think that's really interesting. I'm going to tell you right now, if this week a lion attacks me and I tear him apart with my bare hands, next Sunday I will tell you about that. (laughs) And I will give God the credit and the glory for every bit of it and we will celebrate that moment. I mean, I cannot believe that he doesn't tell his mom and dad. I mean, you know your kids are connecting with you when your kids have success and they come and tell you about it. It's when your kids never tell you about what's happening in their life, you begin to worry about there's something wrong between us. I mean, Samson does not care about his parents. He is so self-absorbed, he only cares about himself, his own interest. He's rebelling against God, and he does not care about his parents. This is is not the story you expect to hear after last week's Judges chapter 13. They make their way into Timnah. Samson meets this lady and talks to her. And after talking with her and having that introduction, he still says, I want to marry this woman. So evidently they're going to make wedding preparations 
and doing all the things that are customary for the, each of the families to do. And then Samson is headed back to Timnah for the wedding and the feast that will be there with both families. And on the way back, he makes a detour to check on that lion that he had killed. Verse 8. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some of it to them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. But he did not tell them he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. So, you remember the vow that Samson's living under? He's not supposed to cut his hair. He's not supposed to drink anything from the fruit of the vine. He's not supposed to eat anything unclean. He's not supposed to touch dead things. You see a problem here? He goes back and he touches a dead lion. And he scrapes honey out the inside of the carcass. Which, that honey is not biblically, according to the law of God, clean to eat. He eats it and then he gives it to his parents without telling them where they got the honey so that they become guilty of breaking the covenant, the vow, even though they don't even know they've done it. I mean, he deceives his parents. He dishonors them. He breaks the vow of God. He does not care about what God has done in setting him aside whatsoever to be the deliverer of Israel. He breaks the law. He breaks the vow. But God will not break his promise. He will use Samson, even in his brokenness and rebellion, to begin the deliverance of his people. God extends grace after grace after grace to accomplish the deliverance of his people. So there they are preparing the feast, And there's 30 companions that have been assigned to Samson by the people in Timnah. I don't know if these 30 people were there to hang out with Samson or to guard everybody from Samson. I'm not sure what was going on, but he's got 30 people that are hanging around him. And so Samson plans a little entertainment for the feast. And he tells these guys that he wants them to solve a riddle. And so here's the deal he makes. Verse 12, and Samson said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you, if you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle that we may hear it. And so he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Well, they couldn't figure it out. I mean, day after day, they're talking together. They cannot figure that out. I mean, this is, this is an impossible riddle to find. I mean, Samson's smart at making the deal that he's going to win, right? So he tells them the riddle. They can't figure it out. After a few days of that, they go to his wife. Okay, now, now keep this in mind. This is crazy. This is Samson's honeymoon, all right? He's got a little honeymoon entertainment at the expense of his wife's people. Well, those people go to his wife and say, if you don't tell us the answer to this riddle, we're going to burn you, your family, and everything that you own to the ground. Evidently, these people in Philistia were not the nicest of people because she takes them to be telling the exact truth. 
these are the kind of people that will burn me and my family and our belongings to the ground. So she goes to, she decides, I've got to get this out of Samson so I can tell them the answer to the riddle. We'll lose the bet, but we'll all be saved, me and my family. So she goes to Samson and day after day cries all day long, complaining that he doesn't trust her and that he's withheld this knowledge from her. Now, I'm just here to tell you, if I'm planning my honeymoon, the ideal honeymoon is not experiencing my wife crying 24 hours a day, day after day, because she doesn't trust me and I don't trust her. This is not the ideal honeymoon. And she flat wears Samson out. And on day seven, right before the deal is done, he tells her the answer to the riddle. And she goes and tells the companions. And so they come to Samson, and this is what they say, verse 18. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And this is what Samson says. It's pretty funny. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. I don't want anybody to take offense at that, but it's just kind of funny the way he said it. We'll get past that and, and, and figure out that what Samson's saying is, you took my wife and you used her like an animal. And that's the only reason you found out. Well, Samson's really upset at that. He's enraged. And he goes down into another town in Philistia and he kills 30 men, takes all their clothes and delivers those sets of clothes as his end of the bargain. And then he goes back home and he leaves his wife there with her family. And then his father-in-law gives his wife to his best man. Can you feel the tragedy of the story? Everything's going wrong. Samson gets over his initial rage and he heads back to get his wife. And when he shows up, his father-in-law says to him, I thought you hated her. And so I gave her to your best man. Let's just say that Samson has one thing on his mind at this point. It's revenge. I don't know how he does this. And I think it just goes to, I mean, if a guy can tear a lion in two with his bare hands because of the strength and power of God promised to him, I'm pretty sure he can catch hundreds of foxes too. And that's what Samson does. He catches hundreds of foxes, ties them together tail to tail, and puts torches in that knot between the tail, lights those torches, sets them loose in the crops of the Philistines, and their crops burn up. The Philistines get pretty agitated over that. They want to find out what's going on. But they find out that Samson's father-in-law gave his wife to his best man. Does this sound like Jerry Springer? <laughs> Golly, this is crazy. He gives his wife to his best man and he's mad and that's what he's done. Well, the Philistines, they go and they burn his wife and her family and all their belongings to the ground, just like they had originally said they would if she didn't cooperate. It happens anyway. Samson finds out that she has been killed and he brings a ruthless slaughter on the Philistines. And then he runs off into the territory of Judah 
where the Philistines find out where Samson is, they come with a great army against the people of Judah. And the people of Judah say, why are you coming against us? We're living in submission to you. Why are you doing this? Because Samson's hiding out in your territory. Well, they find out where Samson is. They go and they get Samson. They say, Samson, they're here to attack us. We've got to turn you over. And Samson said, as long as you don't kill me, I'll allow you to take me and turn me over to them. They said, we're not going to kill you. And so they bind him in new ropes. They get him all cinched up good. They bring him down to the Philistines. And the Philistines see Samson bound up with brand new ropes. And they start to scream victory over Samson. And God fills Samson with his strength by way of the Spirit of God. And those ropes that bound Samson became like dry grass on a hot day under an extreme flame. They melted away. Samson picks up the jawbone of a donkey and begins to just slay one Philistine after another. He kills a thousand of them. One man slaughtering a thousand of the Philistines. The deliverance of God's people has begun. At the end of this epic battle, Samson is so thirsty, he feels like he's going to die. And he cries out to God, Now think about this. This man has done nothing to honor the vow God brought him into. And in his moment of great need, he cries out to God and God miraculously brings water forth so Samson can drink and be sustained. God saves Samson. who did not deserve it. God used Samson who did not deserve it. And God began to deliver his people who did not deserve it. And for the next 20 years, Samson judges the people of God. You know who the the hero of the story is? The hero is God. He is the great deliverer. God is the hero and in this story is a lesson that none of us can afford to miss this morning. Consider the story that God graciously chose Samson before Samson was born to be the deliverer. It was a grace choice. I'm choosing you to be the one who begins the deliverance of my people. And I'm inviting you into a special relationship with me where you're set apart to know me and serve me. It's a gracious choice to bring Samson into this opportunity that is a reflection of the gracious choice of God to deliver his people. And Samson responds to God's grace by choosing to rebel against God by turning away from the vow by disrespecting and dishonoring his parents by pursuing his own selfish ends by getting after rebellion and revenge because of his own heartache that was brought on by his own sin yes God is delivering his people through the brokenness and rebellion of Samson but Samson made a choice to turn away from God God is gracious and still using Samson even in the midst of his brokenness to deliver his people but the great tragedy of the story is Samson he chose to live his life on the wrong side of God's grace God invited him in gave him a role to play in deliverance and Samson rebelled against God he still played the role he just didn't experience the goodness 
in the grace of God's salvation deliverance in his own life. He rebelled and he rejected God. If he'd have lived on the right side of God's grace, then Samson would have said, God, you've set me apart, not because of something I've done. You did it before I was ever born. And I want to respond to your grace to deliver our people through me by trusting you and obeying you and following you and paying attention to your commands and learning the law and observing the vow you invited me into. I want to follow you. You are so good. And gracious, but instead Samson did not care. And he lived his life on the wrong side of God's grace. It would have been so much better for Samson, for his family, for the whole nation of Israel, if Samson had lived on the right side of God's grace. God still delivered, but it would have been better. For Samson. Think about what his story would have been like. His life story would have been so different. His story would have been more like the comic book version. A great hero. Worthy of honor. Because he trusted God. Instead. God's the only hero. And Samson is the great tragedy. Do you know for every person in this room who's made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're here this morning and you've made the decision to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is for you right now in your life a right side of God's grace and a wrong side of God's grace. I want to read to you a passage in the New Testament out of 2 Peter chapter 1. Because this this passage, I believe, describes, explains for us very clearly the right side of God's grace and the wrong side of God's grace. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in this place today, He has delivered you. Jesus Christ is your great deliverer. He is your hero that saved you from your sin and the guilt of your sin. He has delivered you into life and has granted you eternal life. And He's called you to join in His purpose of displaying the truth of His deliverance offered to the world through Jesus Christ. You have been set apart to be a part of displaying the gospel and you have a choice to make every single day will I live on the right side of God's grace today or will I live on the wrong side and this is an explanation of those sides first Peter chapter 1 verse 4 he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them by his promises We may become partakers of the divine nature. We might know God, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith. And he's going to talk about what you should do as a result of living by faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of his good promises of salvation. On the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ, your hero, your deliverer, this is what ought to be happening out of your faith. Look at this, verse 5. Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. 
And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're invited into the relationship with your Savior. And as you get to know him and his promises, his spirit works in you through your faith in him, a life change that is ever increasing from the moment you decide to follow Christ to the moment he takes you home or you die. So that your life is characterized by a constant change into the image and the character of your hero, Jesus Christ. He wants you to become just like him in the way you live your life. Living on the right side of God's grace means I understand you have saved me. And I want you and your promises to work their way out in my life every single day as I trust you. So that you add to my life all the qualities that point other people to my deliverer, Jesus Christ. That's living on the right side of God's grace. Verse 9 is living on the wrong side of God's grace. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. If in your life you are not seeing an increase in these qualities... Because of your faith in Jesus Christ and your attachment to his promises is your great deliverer. And the Bible is telling us we're living on the wrong side of grace because we've forgotten just how much we've been forgiven. Just how much we've been saved and delivered from our sin. Just how much Jesus has done for us. If we are not seeing a constant change of my life so that the way my life is on display increasingly looks more and more like the character of Jesus Christ because I know Him and I am captured by Him saving me, then I have forgotten that He saved me and I'm living for myself and not for Him. And that is the wrong side of God's grace. God will still use you. Listen, you can live on the wrong side or the right side of God's grace and God will still use you to be a display for people to see so that they might choose Jesus Christ. It's just a lot better for all of us to live on the right side of God's grace. God is so gracious and good that he can use you in whatever choices you make. It's just a lot better to make the choices that put you on the right side of His grace. I want to say a special encouraging word to the dads in this room. All of us dads in this room have been uniquely equipped and set apart for a particular and specialized role in our families. And we bear the responsibility and we bear the privilege of uniquely influencing our children to follow Jesus Christ. That's what God has done with every dad. He's given every father a unique authority and role within the family to be a unique and particular influence on their children to follow Jesus Christ. That's who God's made us to be as dads. 
You can either respond to that gracious assignment by living on the wrong side of God's grace or by living on the right side of God's grace. God will use you. Whatever choice you make to give your children encouragement to follow Christ is just a lot better for you and your kids, your family, and your church if dads make the choice to live on the right side of God's grace. i never forget years ago, my dad wrote me a little letter. It's one of those letters I've kept for years, and in that he makes a statement. He says, I'm sorry for all the mistakes that I've made. And I pray that you will so learn from my mistakes that you will not make them yourself. My dad made mistakes. But he knew that God is a hero who can take the mistakes of a dad and still use them in a boy's life to cause that boy to want to follow Christ. God can use our decisions to live on the wrong side of His grace to give our kids reason to follow Him. Psalm 27 verse 10 says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your precepts. God's grace always finds a way. And He can use our mistakes to give our kids reason to follow Him. But it's a lot better to make a choice to live on the right side of God's grace. It's just a lot better display of His grace. It's a lot better display of His goodness. It's a lot clearer message to your kids to live on the right side of God's grace. That's the story you want. You don't want the story where your kids say, God was the hero, my dad was the tragedy. And thank God that he used the tragic story of my father to cause me to follow Christ. He'll do it. But that's not the story you want. No, the story that you want is God is the hero that so saved my dad that he lived every day more and more on the right side of God's grace and God was changing him and God was working in him. I've never seen anything like it than what God did in my dad's life and I'm so glad that God used my dad to woo my heart to Jesus Christ and I love my heavenly father because my dad loved him. That's the story you want. But you got to make a choice whether to live on the right side of God's grace or the wrong side. I'm here to tell you this morning, if, if, if you have a story right now in your life where your past is, being, is, is one of living on the wrong side of God's grace more than living on the right side, that story can be changed in an instant because God is that gracious. He wants to use you to bless your kids on the right side of grace. Trust Him. 
If you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, my dad lived his whole life on the wrong side of God's grace. He abused me, he neglected me, he belittled me, he made me feel like I was inferior, he never blessed me, and I don't know how I can get over that wound, and I'm becoming like him whether I want to or not. Let me just tell you, God does not want that story to be your story. No, see, God's grace is so significant and so real that he can take the brokenness of anyone and use it to redeem the story of a person who trusts in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be what your father was. You can instead allow what your father was to drive you and all that you are to your heavenly father and he can transform you and you can live on the right side of his grace and you can have a different story. But you got to make a decision, Dad. you got to decide how you're going to live your life. What story do you want to live out? Listen, if you're here this morning, you've never made the decision to trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that today, today you're living under the grace of God. The temporary grace of God that enables you to have life have a sense of purpose, to have what you have in your belongings. All of this is under the temporary grace of God, but at some point, that temporary grace of God is going to come to an end. And this moment of temporary grace is given to you so that you might make a choice and decide to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is the moment where you should make a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because you've been given an umbrella of temporary grace. And now you can make a choice through Christ to live the rest of your life and all of eternity on the right side of God's grace. Today is the day of salvation. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray and I'm gonna, we're going to sing a song and we're going to stand together. And if you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ, then I want you to just be courageous because you've decided, I want a different story. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want him to be my deliverer. I want my kids to see something in me. If that's you this morning, then I want you just to stand up after we sing and while we're singing and just walk down this aisle and tell me, I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ. I know that takes courage. But we need people who will make a decision to live on the right side of God's grace no matter what. And God will help you. Just take that first step. For the rest of us in this place that have made a decision to follow Christ, I want to urge you, stay on the right side of God's grace and invite others to join you. And when people in this world who make choices to live on the wrong side of God's grace hurt us, you know that will happen to us, right? That we're living around a whole bunch of people in our lives who are making constant choices to live on the wrong side of God's grace and that can hurt us deeply. I mean, last Sunday, tragic, in Orlando. A man decides to live on the wrong side of God's grace and kills a bunch of people. That is incredibly damaging. Guess what? We're living around people all day, every day who are making choices to live on the wrong side of God's grace and that will hurt us at some level. But never forget, Never forget that God's grace always finds a way in and through every degree of brokenness and tragedy. And that we can trust him to take the brokenness of circumstances and tragic events and use them in a redemptive way to bring about salvation, to bring about hope, to bring about his grace. 
And when we trust the Lord in that way in our lives, living on the right side of God's grace, do you know what we become? We become a voice saying to the world, there is a way out of the brokenness. There is another story to live. Come and find my hero, Jesus Christ. Let's trust him.